0: Hello and welcome to another in-conversation piece for the Foundation for Education Development. I'm really thrilled today to have as the person in conversation with me, Rebecca Winthrop, who is, of course, the Senior Fellow and Co-Director of the Centre for Universal Education at the Brookings Institution in Washington, D.C. Welcome, Rebecca. So, as you know, the Foundation for Education Development has been busy talking long-term visioning and planning in education in England but also we're very interested in the international perspective in that arena. So if I can start off by asking you a a question to get us into our conversation. So that first question would be from your experience and it's vast across the world looking at this area what are the conditions around the world for long-term planning in education in your opinion?
1: Uh, It is a very good question, Carl. And it's something that I think a lot of countries struggle with. Um, There's probably a whole host of conditions, but a couple that pop top of mind are first and foremost, if you're truly interested in a long-term vision in education. So something that stays the course between political appointments of heads of education departments, You need to have a couple of things. One, you absolutely, when you come up with a vision, need to have teachers at the table, the teaching profession at the table, school leaders at the table. There is a long tradition in many countries where education becomes overly political for teachers to wait out the change. And in fact, I sympathize with them. And any classroom teacher who's ever taught would sympathize with them too. Because sometimes there's vast swings of um, perspectives and visions, which means vast sort of reorientations of of teaching and learning experiences and practices in a classroom from one day to the next. Um, And that is quite difficult to do that every couple of years. so that's not number one. And I think uh, that the teaching profession and the teaching organ- teacher organizations and networks and unions and um, wh- whoever is uh, there in a country would be very eager to be at the table. Um, I know that dialogue can be quite difficult sometimes between uh, administration and the teaching profession, but I think it's essential to Number one, get to a good place uh, where both sides hear each other and there is real honest listening. So um, I have a whole bunch of other others, but that might be my very first criteria for an enabling. So
0: that's really interesting. And we do see that across the world. And and Rebecca, you considered to be one of the the top people in the world for research in this area. So if for a moment we, we I ask you another question, we look at the demand side in education. Mm. Yeah. Where is there a shared public view of purpose of education in your experience? Do you see that across the world? How important is it?
1: Mm. Well, I um, am in the midst of a study uh, at the Center for Universal Education at Brookings looking at parent perspectives of what makes for a good quality education for their child. And one of the things that I have found early, where we will be publishing soon, um, early evidence of, is that parents in almost all the countries, we're looking at 10 countries, including the UK, have a similar uh, vision of education that they want for their child- children. And it's, mm. it's to be, um, for their children, yes, to be prepared for post-secondary opportunities in life, but that's actually not the most important it's also parents really want their schools and the, their children's educational experience to be one that develops self-knowledge, that helps them understand them themselves in, in, in their life and the broader ecosystems of opportunities available for them, helps them st- Discover a passion, gives them agency. So it's a it's a broader picture, actually, than just exams. And I find it really interesting that it's across almost all the countries we have looked at. Um, and the other part that's quite interesting is that most while parents say this is what I really want out of education, they feel that their schools have different priorities. They feel that they're that's actually what they want is not the number one priority of what their schools want. Um, and they feel that schools want the number one priority is to make sure kids get good marks and good grades and do well on exams. Um, so I think that if you're looking, for, uh, you know, this is probably a second condition for a long-term uh, vision and uh, enabling condition for a long-term vision in education. But if you're looking for a seriously a long-term vision, you need to have a robust public conversation. That includes families and parents and employers and the public. And you know, there's everybody and their mother wants something from education. Employers want them, you know, schools to prepare them for the world of work. Um, civic organizations want want them schools to prepare young people to be civically engaged and civically active. Families want them um, to, you know, have a sense of self knowledge and purpose. So. How is a teacher going to accomplish all of this without a coherent vision um, and without real support and alignment around the purpose of school?
0: That, I think, is fascinating. Some of the work that we've been talking about in the Fed is that public conversation about a vision for education that, as you've said, different organisations, different sectors, different stakeholders have real sort of buy into. to. Um, and I suppose you talked about perhaps if that was a second condition, perhaps I could suggest uh, perhaps a third condition as well, and that's the, the concept of scaling change in education, mm. because we all know that education is an ecosystem, our world is an ecosystem, and you can't just stay still. Things move on, things change, they move in different directions. So from all the work and research that you've done across the world. What do you think about scaling change for education, and, and in particular, what strategies for change management in education do you mm. think are best? And have you have you come across?
1: Yeah, well, I am going to give a shout out to my colleague Jenny Perlman Robinson, who runs our scaling research team, and she's done a lot of work uh, under a, an initiative called Millions Learning, really looking first and foremost um, at how do you scale change in education, especially when it's around um, quality and skills and competencies. The world for the last 150 years has had a recipe for scaling education, which is build schools, make them free, make them compulsory, staff them with teachers, so, and that's that was really about expansion. That was a that was a huge effort across the world over um, many decades. But the question is, <laughs> what you pose and what most countries are facing now is, you if you have an education systems with kids in it, how do you change their experiences? Um, and I guess that's what the Fed is looking at. How what's that long term vision about the purpose and what their experiences are and what sort of skills, competencies, outcomes, knowledge, attitudes, behaviors, and you know, kids will come out with. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've done a lot of research looking at sort of positive deviance. Where are cases where things have scaled in terms of improving learning outcomes, say, across a broad spectrum of competencies, not just uh, academic competence, though though that is crucial. Um, And we found there's um, a couple of good practices that seem to apply in all cases. One is really being quite in touch um, with the the community, which is a bit of what we talked about with the public conversation. Really making sure that what you're you're doing in terms of um, the change you're making has buy-in, works for the people in the system. Um, a second, and this is this is actually the the one I want to focus on most because we see huge pitfalls in this happening all the time is this idea of flexible adaptation. So usually (laughs) if you have uh, uh, change, means you need need a change management process and you're trying to get people to do things differently. It could be a teaching practice, it could be a a whole range of things and you pilot it somewhere in some subsection of the system. And what often happens is that pilot becomes highly expensive, very complicated, um, and uh, there is a great love of all the detail um, of the pilot, of the founders, whoever you know is involved in, in 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 trying it at first. And it there's so many stories of scaling not working where um, there has been sort of two approaches. One approach is take that model and try to exactly exactly how it is with all the bells and whistles bring it everywhere. And a second approach is here's a model, put it out there and anybody can take it but with no guidance. And really the one that works is this idea of flexible adaptation where you have to really understand what is the crucial sacred components of that intervention or strategy or practice or um, that makes the change successful or makes the, let's say, learning and skills development successful. Um, and hold on to that and then adapt all the other pieces to the different settings whether it be a rural school or an urban school etc um, and that's hard to do so that that's something that's really really crucial
0: yeah the Holy Grail almost one might say if one can find it in that area and, and I suppose if we're talking about other conditions then there's one very important condition we can't miss out in our conversation and that's what's the political economy around change and long-term planning in education? Um, And where is it often most strong and effective in your experience?
1: Mm, That's an interesting um, question, but crucial. And one that I think we, as an education sector, um, spend less time on. I think we are, and I, I would put myself in that bucket, guilty of spending more time on the technical Solutions rather than getting the political economy right. Yeah. You know, one of the things our, our scaling team has also found there's those sort of pitfalls or good good practices or like flexible adaptation and and there's a range of others. Um, but it, the other thing they found is around the process of scaling, how like the change management process, mm-hmm. um, and they basically say, look, you kind of need three main things to be attended to. Um, one is you need to correctly source and identify what the change is. <laughs> Has to have evidence behind it. That's kind of what I talked about. So sourcing, sourcing change. The second thing you need to do is really support it in as it is being rolled out. And that that you can liken to a change management process in any organization. You need to look at budget lines. You need to look at um, personnel incentives and job requirements. You know, There's a whole bunch of things to support it. And the third thing you really need to successfully scale a change in education is to focus on sustaining the change. And that is where people forget often. I would say people, most of us in the global ed community focus on sourcing. And um, I've done a ton of work on leapfrogging innovation. So I focus on sourcing. Um, Not that many people focus on supporting and people forget about sustaining and sustaining is really getting um, political buy-in, not just from the senior ministry, but from civil servants all the way down. So they, there is a way of doing things that is just the way it is. And it's based on rational, good conversation and evidence. And it doesn't go out the window every time a new government comes, in, comes into power. And then, of course, the, what we already talked about, the public demand. Will be a really important s- source of sustaining that change if it's aligned, if it's aligned to it, which is why it's a key condition for, for a long term vision. You
0: no, know, you make some really good points there about sustaining and aligned within that over time. And um, so you also mentioned something we've discussed in the past on numerous occasions: leapfrogging, and we're in this incredibly unique period one which we weren't in we all wish we weren't in covid 19 and the pandemic but we are and hopefully we can we're we're coming out of that soon and we're getting to the other side of of a very difficult journey but you've referenced a number of times and done a lot of work on this this concept of leapfrogging in education we're in a leapfrog moment what's the potential for that around the world
1: I think we are in a potential leapfrog moment and it very much depends on what people do. Are they going to revert back to basics or will they look at, and I say they meaning people in education systems, decision makers, and those of us who support them, or will they look at the sort of innovations that have emerged during COVID that one would want to keep? There's plenty we don't want to keep. We want kids to go to school. We want (laughs) um, parents to get back to work, et cetera. But there's some really interesting things that have come to light. One, ar- I think, around parent engagement. W- many, many new ways of engaging parents—not as in come to our parent-teacher meeting at the school periodically every couple of months, but in a much more ongoing, iterative way, which I think is is has the potential to be game-changing because we know when parents are deeply engaged in kids' learning at home and supporting it, kids do better. Um, another is around technology. Um, there's a lot of poor use of technology amid COVID. So, um, you know, think of the most boring meeting you are ever in and the PowerPoint slides and you're trying to, you know, stay awake and you're falling asleep. That's not a good use of technology to do that as a, as teaching. Um, but there's lots of interesting um, uh, ways in which technology is used through ga- through gamified learning, through blended at home in class learning. Um, and teachers are much more familiar with it now. Um, and I, I think uh, the other thing that I um, would would hope is that people really come to see schools as the beating heart of a community, um, writ large of community life and the center of children's welfare and well-being. And the, the allies, the education allies that emerged while school buildings were closed, emerged in the community to, to support kids, healthcare, social protection, libraries, technology companies, media companies, museums, like that, they stay engaged and that they come in and are, are strongly networked to help kids continue learning in a, in a really good uh, ecosystem of support. So those to me are, are a couple of big leapfrog opportunities if and only if people lean into them and, and resist the temptation to just go right back to the way it was and back to basics
0: yeah almost get back to normal because we haven't been normal i I agree so thinking differently yeah absolutely so 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 the final thing I want to ask you that if we could take that leapfrog moment and, uh, and we could transport now ten years into the future and we could look back down the line ten years in education from an education perspective, what would be your fervent hope and wish with that global um that you are you are extremely well well, well well positioned to offer. What would be your wish for the journey over the 10 years, 10 next years if you could look back from being 10 years since all the way down to now?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I'm thinking about it. I think the one thing that I would be deeply sad if I look back 10 years from now and it didn't radically change is a focus on student agency. I think around the world, um, parents realize that their kids have a really hard time learning independently and schools um, are spoon feeding kids. And that's not necessarily teachers' faults or you know, administrators' faults or even ministers' faults. I think there's lots of good intentions to get kids up to speed and get the marks they need and get them the foundational skills in literacy and literacy numeracy academics, as well as other things. Um, and I would want student agency um, to be more central and present mm-hmm. in how we teach children. And I would want a shared vision that that is good, not as an extra addition once you've mastered literacy, numeracy, you know, but as a means to getting strong in academics that you can get a twofer you can do both at once and in fact they mutually reinforce each other um so i that that's the one thing that i think we have increased recognition around and it would be a pity if we didn't grab that opportunity and and lean into it
0: rebecca winthrop senior fellow and co-director of the center of universal education at the brookings institution at washington dcc thank you very much